And welcome, everybody, to another edition of Swing Thoughts. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, along with Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach, head coach, University of Guelph golf team, and uh, and a really uh, really nice guy. I'm not gonna, I'm just going to come right out and say he's a really nice person. So you know, stop hating on Tim. <laughs> no one. Here's the thing. Nobody. Nobody. Has hated on you. You're not to be hated on, young man. You're a very nice person. I've been picked on in grade five. There was, now nah, we won't get into it. I'll save it for my therapy session this afternoon. Hey, by the way, I saw some, uh, I, I was going to say, I saw some pictures that you put up of you as a young man. I think uh, one of your blogs this week talking about why we play golf and you included a, a picture. I think, was it you and your father? Yeah, yeah, two pictures. And uh, it's no, you know, you're in good shape for a man of your age. Uh, a man of any age, really, but you as a young man, you could see that. You could see the the foundation of goodness was in place already. <laughs> oh, with my dear sweet dad, that the picture of us uh, where I'm wearing the Augusta shirt was at the Ontario Father Son event. And I'm not sure if that picture was before or after um, the uh, the incident. Uh, the incident was I forget, it was Maples of Ballantry or something like that. And I think we were like two over after six, seven holes or something. We come to this part three uh, with water in front. And, oh, yeah, that's called foreshadowing, that part of a story. <laughs> and uh, I think I hit the ball in the water. Uh, Dad got up, hit it in the water. I got up again, hit the ball in the water. And then it's like he just put his arm around me and said, well, Guess the rest of the day we're just having fun. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to have some fun today. We'll get to our guest in a second, but we're great uh, grateful to our friends at Bell. Happy to be back on TSN eleven fifty in Hamilton. Of course, you can always get uh, archives, archival uh, audio from Swing Thoughts. Uh, go to our uh, Facebook page um, today. Of course, brought to you by the all new Sim. And Sim Max Drivers. Once we finally get to play golf again, you can reshape your game. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Shape in Motion family of TaylorMade products. And, of course, line yourself up the ultimate fitting experience with TaylorMade Master Fitters. Again, go to TaylorMadeGolf.ca and learn how you can get a Sim uh, driver or three-wood into your hands, uh, much like my friend O'Connor, you got your uh, you got your clubs this week. I understand. I got my driver this week. Nice. Yeah, it's got. I mean, just love looking at it, man. It's just awesome. I love that. I love. I don't know what they exactly call it. Uh, the bar thing along the bottom that I looks know. pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But I'm actually. I'm really in love with the head cover. Yes, it's, just it's... A sweet. <laughs> <head>. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I, I can basically wander into a clothing store or a department store or whatever for about, I don't know, three to five minutes before one of my hips starts to give out. But yeah, I can, right. But I can go and look at golf clubs, you know, whether it's TaylorMade or you go to Golf Town. When I was at TaylorMade a few months ago, like, honestly, I just can't stop touching golf clubs. But uh, yeah, I know it's like women go around in, in, a, in the in the women's clothing section. You know the, the turnstiles; they just touch them. Yeah, like exactly. I, you know, I think I'm there. I got my arms folded. I'm not touching anything. But you're in a in a golf town or someplace. Oh, what's that? Mm, mm, mm. Exactly. You know, speaking of women, I, I know a lot of uh, you know people are uh, self isolating or in isolation pods with their 
their girlfriends, boyfriends, spouses, and stuff. One of my favorite memes I I saw recently, and I know you're in your isolation pod, of course, wife Sandy. One of the me- the memes was ba- the meme was basically. Uh, uh, yeah, during this uh, lockdown, uh, my wife and I are playing a game called Why Are You Doing That? And there are no winners. <laughs> uh, speaking yeah. of uh, winners, uh, this gentleman has been a, a guest on our program uh, off and on for the last four years. We always lean on his expertise when it comes to the mental side of golf. He is originally from Canada. I think, I'm not sure where he's from. Is he from Grimsby or some? place where are you from oshawa ontario oshawa that's right oh my god uh he has uh coached uh players at all levels on the pga tour european tour and uh and so on uh and of course is uh, a huge friend of the show please welcome mental performance coach and all-around fine fellow paul dooland hello sir hello sirs uh, can you get a little closer? Because uh, we're just a little, yeah. Because I know you're using your computer mic because you're such a, you're so cool. You don't like to use uh, headphones and stuff. I'm a geek. But I'm not a, <laughs> not a, I'm not a microphone geek. But I'm an but, but you did come with your tailor-made hat on. Very I mean, nice. That's yeah. a very sponsor-conscious move. Yep. Yep. I I I thought I would put that on just for the benefit of everyone. Well, we appreciate it, man, and uh, yeah. it's great to have you back. Now, Paul and I were corresponding a, a couple of weeks ago. We were going to have a, a little catch-up. Uh, I worked with Paul starting in 2014, and then <clears throat> we kind of drifted apart but stayed friends. Is that fair? We don't, you don't, I'm not, you don't work with me as a golfer anymore, but uh, we're still. Yeah, we're not, and, and we're not friends. <laughs> Are you near acquaintances now? Yeah, we're just, we became, we were really good friends, and now we're just acquaintances. Uh <laughs> How's everything there at, uh, in Florida? You're there with your kids, your wife, uh, everyone okay? Yeah, it's actually surprisingly well, going well. Um, no one has killed each other yet, so that's awesome. Have, uh, any, uh, have, have any protesters stormed the, the governor's house demanding the lockdown be uh, put away, stopped? You know, to be honest, I don't. I try to just understand what I need to know to do what I need to do. There is so much of the, you know, the uh, opinions and politics and all the rest of it that I, I just don't get involved with unless it's something that I can do something about. Uh, just because it's, uh, it's, it just becomes nonsense. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in Florida uh, this week, the governor was uh, making the case that uh, WWE wrestling should be an essential service. And I think that's all you need. <laughs> to me, that's all you need to know about Florida. But picking up on what you just said is a great place to start with golfers listening to us. And isn't that really kind of a microcosm of what we can do as as players? All we can deal with is what's in front of us. But so often we get in trouble. Uh, not only as human beings, but as golfers, would you not agree that a lot of trouble comes in the game from not dealing with the now, but being back and forth in the past and the future? Oh, yeah, completely. I, that's probably one of the major themes I work with virtually any level of golfer on um, is, is, look, look, what can you do something about? Uh, you know, I use the term controllables um, and things that we can have an impact on, but we can't control is things we influence and that's kind of how i've always organized things and uh 
the, the starting point is always, you know, do we really understand what we actually completely control? And, you know, I think we might have talked about this on the show before, but it's, it's, it, it, it's worth repeating because, you know, if I ask people when we start out, it's like, so you, do you control your score? Some people will say yes at first, and then they'll go, wait, no, I guess I don't. Okay, how about quality of shots? No, yeah, maybe, or no, maybe. Sometimes the answer is one or the other. And uh, then it's like, do you control your swing? It's like, yes, absolutely. And so the way I always do it is these days is I just say, okay, so if I put a gun to your head and said, I'll shoot you if you don't make a perfect swing, uh, how are you going to feel? And they're like, I'd be really scared. I'd say, well, what, what about if you, what if I said you have to prepare to the very best of your ability for this, uh, for this shot, or I'll shoot you to be like, no, I feel better. Okay. Why? Because I know I can do that. So do you really control your swing? And they're, they're, I guess not. And we don't. Um, the only thing we have is that we've accumulated a level of skill that has some degree of variance in it. Uh, just like if someone were to write their name on a piece of paper and I said, duplicate that, you can't do that. There's variance no matter what. Now there's consistency in, in one way, but there's also always variance in the human nervous system. The, the brain is not designed for consistency. It's designed for adaptation to an environment. So you cannot in any way, shape, or form, control your swing. But if you practice correct, correct consistently, you'll have some limited variation. And so, you know, long story short, yeah, when people really understand and, and examine what they do control, that's when the change happens. Because when they make the assumption they control their swing, they're going to have some anxiety and frustration hitting all the time. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. I was talking with... Um... God, I know you and I connected a week or so ago, and it was either with you or someone else. And they said that they had um, filmed master blacksmiths hitting, you know, a spike. And you know, so these guys are you know, the t- creme de la creme at being able to carve interesting things out of, you know, metal. And and what they showed was that in every swing of the hammer was different than the preceding one. Mm-hmm. There's no consistency, and that's what happens in this game, this culture of golf, is that everyone seems to be – everyone – well, most people are searching for this hallowed thing called consistency. You know, you, you know, someone goes to a golf instructor or someone like you or me, and what do you want? I want to be consistent. What they mean is that they want a degree of control over what goes on. Yeah, they're tired of choking their guts out in a tournament. They're tired of – hitting it out of bounds, but I think it's exactly, you and I sing so much from the same hymn book because uh, full disclosure, um, you coached me for a while and you were uh, a key mentor in me getting into being a coach. So uh, we, we drink from the same fountain, if, if you will, it's a weird image, but I'll just keep going. Um, (laughs) But it's that, uh, that ability to adapt, which is a piece that I'd like Howard to speak to, because he's he's developed a relationship with um, Ed Collins in Ireland, who, and that's a key piece of his mantra is about the whole piece of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's uh, I, I'm trying to think of a question inside of that, but 
when you were talking, Paul and, and Tim, a little bit in terms of people wanting consistency, when what they really want is control. And what, you, what you've talked about, not just with me, but with a lot of your players, is when you, are, when you understand what you really control, doesn't it also take down the stress and... It brings your stress level down when you when you're not when you're no longer worried about an outcome, but you are just controlling what you can control. Which even for amateurs, uh, uh, beginner type golfers, once they realize that there there is no, there's only reliability. There's only there's not consistency. Doesn't that make the game a little bit easier? Doesn't that make the stress around it somewhat lessen? Yeah, I I always describe it as. If, if you try to control things you don't control, you'll feel three things consistently, anxiety, pressure, and frustration. Because, um, you know, the, the ability to do those things is going to elude you, and it's unpredictable. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't, so it's a bit of a tease. And, and, it, and it really just drives people crazy in a certain way. But the other, on the other side of what I tell people is that you've, the, the, the price you pay is accountability. Now, people are like, oh, so if I give up the need to control what I control, um, then I, I can feel confident again. It's like that's only half of it. The other half is, do you know how, like, to really thoroughly prepare for every shot during an 18-hole round of golf, do you know how much energy you have to put in to do that, to not skip any steps in your preparation, mm-hmm. to really be, you know, thorough and consistent in your rehearsal if you do one, or – you know, check the wind to make sure. Check it a second time. Don't just guess. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's why. I think I shot the flag and not the tree behind it, but ah, oh, whatever. So there's a there's that puts a huge demand on the person's attention and energy to to actually be thorough. And and so that's that's the other half of it is if someone just goes, well, I don't control where the ball goes, but I don't really, you know become deliberate in my preparation, then it's like you might as well just go back to freaking out over the outcome. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Tim. I know you had a question about what uh, Paul's doing with his players in this uh, time, but before we get to that, it's interesting you say that because I've watched a lot of golf on TV recently, and it it occurred to me that one of the biggest differences between a tour player and an average player is how much attention the tour player gives to the shot before he goes to hit it whereas with amateurs they're giving all the attention to how to hit a golf ball over the ball but no attention to where the ball is supposed to be going on that particular occasion yeah it's so everybody when they practice golf they 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 practice their swing they'll go and they'll hit balls um and then go to the golf course and it's like all right let's do a really good job of preparation here but the advice I would give people is, look, you've got to practice the preparation process. So don't hit the same shot twice. Check the wind on every everything. Check the yardage. Um, do good thorough swing rehearsals like you would at in a, in a tournament or when you're playing with your buddies even. If, if you want to get good at preparation, you've got to practice preparation. You just can't do it on game day. That's not enough reps. Oh, ab- absolutely. And so many times I hear – and like I – I, I coach a lot of good players, not not PJ Tour players like you do, but I constantly hear them say, I'm working on my swing. And I always ask them, would you be open to a reframe on that? <laughs> How about you're working on hitting shots? 
And the preparation is a key part of that. To me, making a good golf swing, well, that's as pretty close to useless as you can get. It's yeah. about it's about hitting the shot, and the shot informs the swing. You know, so but just coming back to that piece about the preparation, and and I, I so love where we're at in terms of the, those controllables because this is stuff that people can, you know, everyone's champing at the bit about getting out, and this is stuff they can think about as they get ready for the season. And one of the greatest examples of that preparation piece was Jordan Spieth at the Open Championship uh, a couple of years ago. Remember when he blasted into like the trailer park land? Yeah. Like how long did he take? Yeah. To get that mapped out. That's a great example. It's a great point. That was like 15 or 20 minutes or so. But but think about this, Tim. I mean, that was an extreme example. And before you answer, Paul, the, the thing that holds a lot of men, I'll say this, back mm-hmm. is the self-consciousness about taking a little extra time because your buddies will razz you. But imagine what what the the commitment to preparation, Tim, that Jordan Spieth showed in that moment. He was committed to not hitting that shot under any circumstances until he was ready. That's right. And it didn't matter that he was on TV. Yeah. Uh, it didn't matter that, you know, he, he knew in the back of his mind that he was causing uh, uh, Kuchar to you know, to ice it basically, you know, but he took care of business. And I think the key, a key thing to understand if you watch, when you watch a tour player, they'll spend some time in their preparation. As Paul said, you know, check or double check the wind, all that kind of stuff. But most of them are fairly brisk once they're into the shot routine. Yeah. They're not, there's not a lot of standing around. They, they know that then once they've made that decision, the thing that I use in my coach, I'll ask Paul to his version, you can call it uh, Tia Nil, uh, Pia Nilsson and Lynn Marriott, the, um, the think box and the play box. So they get the work done in the think box, you know, analyzing the data, getting it all in, making the commitment to the shot. They cross, you know, this imaginary line into the play box and now that's a place to be athletic and to react to target and, and, and just let this thing go. Paul, um, do you use anything kind of close to that or? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a really, their, their work is awesome. And that, that particular concept, I don't use it. I use a line. It's just, I just throw a yard, uh, a line and stick down and say, when you cross sure. this line, you can't go back. But um, one of the things that, I've seen is that, you know, everybody's talks about commitment. So get over ball and just commit. Um, but really the, to me, the commitment comes from the quality of the decision. So if you're biting off more than you can chew on a shot uh, and your ego is a little bit racy that day, or you're anxious to, you know, force a birdie or something like that. And you're over the ball, you're going to be, you're going to probably lack commitment because you, part of you knows that you took off too much. Um, uh, took on took on too much. Sorry, in your in your shot. So um, it's going to be a, a, a very difficult to commit. So when people say, "Well, just commit, fully commit," it's like if I said, you know, walk along, wa- walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Go ahead, just believe in yourself and commit. Yeah. Uh, it's like, wait, that's not a great decision. So I don't think there's enough emphasis on the, the science behind decision making and right. really, really understand. Probably more important, understanding your own game in the first place. Most people don't really know their numbers well enough to be able to say that they made a good decision. So, and, and as as far as pace of play goes, yeah, I nobody wants pace of play to go faster more than me in in, in um, just casual golf. 
to, to me, there's two things where taking an extra five or six seconds over the ball isn't going to cost you a lot of time. There's two things I see that happen all the time. Number one, people don't know watch where their damn ball goes. Yeah. And then you're searching for it. Yeah. Because uh, they're too caught up in the fact that they just hit a bad shot. The other thing is, if, if they're not prepared and, and they're hitting bad shots, they're hitting more shots than they should. Taking another shot that you shouldn't have to take because you were unprepared is going to add up to an awful lot more time than someone taking six or seven, ten seconds more over the ball or behind the ball. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if, if you look at the economy of that, and say, okay, let's just do those two things and boot it between shots. Let's not all again. Those three things, I think pace of play is going to be way different. Did you just say and you let's can do not... a lot of that? And you can do a lot of that prep work while other people are hitting. Yeah, or before hang, the round. Hang on a second, Tim. Uh, Paul, did you just say lollygag? <laughs> I can't. Okay. That's... And don't dilly dally. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim, Tim, so, Tim taught me how to use that word. So no dilly dallying or lollygagging. What did you want to say, Tim? Well, it, it's interesting. A lot of what we're talking about is kind of like the mental fortitude that a that you're going to do the work, and b you're going to be okay that your buddies go, hey, this isn't the U.S. Open, you know. But you just kind of have to get by that. But there's also the physical aspect of checking in what's going on with your body. So a lot of times, you know, I can make a commitment. Behind the ball, okay, this is the shot I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit a six iron. I'm going to grip down on this. And I get over the ball, but my body doesn't feel quite right. I'm, t- I'm sort of stepping in. That's your body, to me, giving you signals. Despite your commitment, something's not quite right. Step off or whatever you call that. Um, come back behind the line and, and give this another go in terms of something you can commit to. I just find yeah. that people don't – people get caught in their heads – and they don't connect to the because their body's sending them a signal. Basically, it's saying, "You know what, pal? You don't have this shot, or this isn't the right club." Yep, yep, I I agree with that. Um, Paul Doolin's with us. He uh, handles uh, tour players, uh, LPGA tour players, uh, European tour players, and like a lot of us, we're uh, in isolation. Uh, what do you do with your players right now? And maybe what can people do? You know, who are at home listening, waiting to, to play golf again. What are some of the things you have your people working on? Uh, so one thing for the listeners to listen to uh, or listening to this um, is there's a great body of research that 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 shows that if you actually imagine playing golf, uh, it it fires the same brain cells as if you were actually playing. So uh, there's a there's a study that was I think in the University of Chicago where they took uh, three groups of thirty people. Uh, thirty people were put into a gymnasium or a, a basketball court and told to shoot a hundred hundred baskets a day as practice. Another group um, did nothing. Another group sat in a room and imagined shooting a hundred baskets. Um, I think the data was that twenty seven percent improvement on the people that shot baskets over a, a period of a month uh 26 improvement for the people that sat in a room and imagined shooting baskets wow so um this is and this look this is not only good for you know on this downtime how to use it productively but if you think about it if you're playing a bad shot over and over and over you're actually repping it you're practicing hitting those bad shots because the brain cells are 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 responding to the image 
as if you actually do it. So you're actually teaching yourself to hit bad shots when you sit there and, and go over and over all the bad ones from around. And similarly, go over all your good ones. I've had guys on tour that um, have, have had a great deal of success by going back to their hotel after the round and just writing down all what they, they were happy with rather than what they weren't happy with. Okay, let's just pause there for a second, boys. Paul Doolin's with us, mental performance coach out of Orlando. Uh, as well as uh, Mr. Tim O'Connor or ConnorGolf.ca. You can check out the Humble and Fred show now five days a week again because we're bored uh, at HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, and we'll come back in a second and just uh, take a few more minutes of your time, Paul, if you don't mind. I, uh, I started reading a book that was recommended by the number one player in the world, and uh, we'll tell you why... Uh, the Obstacle is the Way is such a great book for golfers. When we come back, it's Swing Thoughts, the radio show. Great to be back for a second season on TSN Radio 1150. And we'll come back with more of this mental performance stuff brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. And uh, great to be with you once again on TSN 1150 in Hamilton, part of the Bell family of radio stations. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. And Tim O'Connor is here. This show is called Swing Thoughts. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Tim's a mental performance coach. Uh, Glen Abbey Golf Academy, along with the uh, University of Guelph Griffins. He's the head golf coach there. And a longtime friend of our program is here with us. He coaches PGA Tour players. Uh, and players from all different tours around the world uh, make I don't even know how many times he's been on our show. Paul Doolin from Orlando, Florida. Uh, we're talking about what golfers can do during you know this downtime of uh, the virus. And uh, Paul, always a pleasure to have you with us. I hope everybody is uh, well and uh, healthy in the family. And uh, you're originally from Canada. Any uh, thoughts to come back here, or are you going to ride out the storm there? Uh, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be sticking around here. Uh, you mean, you don't mean during this, this virus time, you mean just in general? You know, to be honest with you, I don't know what I mean. I was just talking and doing something else at the same time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I honestly have no idea why I even said that, but I was trying to find some notes and there was music playing, and I just thought, oh, I'll just keep talking. So, uh, that's what I love about doing this show with you, your candor. No, I wasn't really paying attention. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we just literally talked about preparations. So. No, I know. Well, I, here, so I, well here's so the thing. I was candor, trying to no, – I just want to ask you, Paul, what's it like for you to just, just succinctly um, in this land of – like you're in Florida where there's a lot of folks who like veer from uh, – to the alt-right, to the far-left, whatever. What's it like to kind of be in the middle of all these bouncing opinions and what we should do, say, about opening up the economy again and Trump and stuff? How do you just kind of, or do you just kind of ignore that noise? I, I tr Like I said a little earlier, I try to, you know, understand what I need to do that I can either, you know, make sure that me and my family are safe or that I can contribute in some meaningful way. And other than that, it's like I just try and check in and see what the big picture climate is of what the issues are. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people are like, well, don't don't you, you know, watch the news? How do you get your information? And, you know, 
there's there's some really meaningful stuff on media outlets all over the place, including the internet. There's also some stuff that's not verified fact. And I don't if I don't know what the facts are, then I can't have an opinion. Hundred percent. And so I don't have access to to real pure facts politically. So it's interesting to watch all the dynamics and stuff. But I scratched my head and I said, I wonder what's really going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, before the break, we were talking about. Uh, Rory McIlroy, who and we've discussed this in the last couple of years, has become a different kind of player, obviously super talented, but has started to speak. And I'm sure you've observed this as we have somewhere last year. He started in his press conference talking about separating himself, you know, uh, from how he played that day. And, and over time, he's talked about some of the books he's read. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of them I've started reading called The Obstacle is the Way. And it has nothing to do with golf, but it sort of has everything to do with golf. It's by a guy named Ryan Holiday. And one of the things he talks about, and this is early on in the book, is objectivity versus perception. Objectively, you see something, and it's just there, but your perception of it changes because of your your feelings. How you feel about what you see informs the, the objectivity of it. Mm-hmm. And as golfers, we often... You know, facing a situation rather than just go, well, this is what's happening now. We bring everything that's ever happened to us, you know, or everything that could happen to us into that moment versus just being coldly calculating about what the reality of our situation is. I don't know if I explained that very well. Mm-hmm. One of the best things I read so far, he said, you know, when astronauts were being initially trained to go into space, they were trained on all kinds of things, all this preparation. And he said, you know, the number one thing they were trained in, though, not freaking out. (laughs) And I I love that. The way he put it is they literally the number one thing they were trained to do was not panic. Yeah. And it kind of gets back to what we were talking about in being prepared for the shot and then letting it go. But what do you think about the idea of objectivity versus perception? Yeah, I I, I like that a lot. That, that sounds like there's some cool stuff in that book. Mm-hmm. Well, the best way I've heard it, the way that I always think about it this way, is that the person who is truly objective is someone who knows they're subjective. In other words, they know that they have perceptions functioning and operating, that they don't know like none of us as a human being can really know what perceptions we have that are maybe operating um, on less than fact. Kind of coincidental, I said that earlier about politics. But if if someone knows that it's like, look, I know that there's a part of me that's seeing this in a way that's not actually as factual as it might be. Um, and Tim, you used the example of the left and the right. I believe that both sides do the same thing that way, but for different material. Um, this could turn into a huge problem. <laughs> with, yeah, you know, you're getting some comments in your shows about because I don't have an opinion whether the left is right or left or right is the, the way to go. It just depends on the situation, I think sometimes. And mm-hmm. honestly, it depends on the leader and in 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 and their their own uh, resilience and things like that. So. Um, anyways, I'm not going there. This, uh, this I'm already treading close to the edge of, of something dangerous. Um, but if someone knows that they have that, that that they have perceptions, and right now I'm operating on perception. This is the best perception I have, so I have to go with this. But if if you're aware, self aware enough to to be 
Like, wait a minute. Things aren't going my way a lot. There must be something off in my perception. That's where people who I think have, have some, some um, wisdom go away and get some feedback from someone to say, can you tell me what I see that I don't see? Um, or they'll try to read a book and, and see if that can alter their perception of what they're doing. Because if, if you don't, sometimes you have to go outside. You can't just do it by yourself. And, and I think that's probably the most important thing people can start to do is be open-minded to say, look, my perceptions are just perceptions. They're not fact. They're the best ones I have right now, and I'm functioning off of them. But, uh, you know, continuous improvement to me means that you're going to examine your perceptions. And if you don't get to your perceptions first, then then you're probably going to have have trouble with, you know, golf and business and relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, right on. And that takes a high degree of awareness that people know that, okay, I'm in this place right now. Because a lot of times we just get trapped in our habitual thinking. You know, the thoughts, it's kind of, I use the metaphor all the time of kind of the mouse on the wheel and just goes around and around. So what you're talking about, I think, in some degree is, do we have the awareness that we can actually, rather than isolating and trying to deal with this on our own, by connecting with someone else, we can get some, some, some perspective from outside, almost like the third party. And we can run by them these things that are going on. And how does this land for you, what I'm seeing, how, how I'm interpreting this situation? And once we can kind of get that feedback, sometimes we'll, we'll get, oh, really? I didn't know I was doing that. You know, even from someone seeing your golf swing to seeing how you're reacting to situations, how you're interpreting them. So, so much of it is, is having awareness that, you know, really, if I, gra- if I ask for some support, and connect, I can really learn a lot more about what's really going on, what the reality is, than trying to grapple with all on my own. Yeah, my, my sister had a t-shirt when we were kids. At first, I, I, was, I remembered it really clearly. Uh, and when I first saw it, I didn't understand when I was, when I was really young, but I remembered the phrase on it that said that uh, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with facts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, uh, the other little quite, you know, cute little phrase that, that I like about this is that uh, most people would rather be right than happy. No, exactly. Uh, oh, my God. So, yeah. well, that, that comes back to the political stuff. <laughs> well, the, the poli- uh, yeah. here's the thing. I, we spent a, an inordinate amount of time on our show, on the Humble and Fred show, talking about the current situation. And we have people from both sides of the argument, the right and the left. And, and it all comes down to this thing, the confirmation bias. But to bring it back to golf. So often, whether you're a, an elite player or a, a high handicapper, what what we think is there is not really what is there. Or we have these stories that Tim likes to talk about. And we like to, you know, we always, for a high handicapper, it's like, you know, I, the old story of uh, taking out a, another ball when you're hitting over water. Because, <laughs> you know, the, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. I go, what's my water ball? Because uh, yeah, I always exactly. get in the old ball. Yeah, yeah. get in the old ball. And I remember saying this to somebody once, like, what are you doing? They said, well, I, I don't, I always hit it in the water here, so I'm going to use a, an old ball. I go, well, don't even hit it, just throw it in the water. Because, you know, that's where it's going. <laughs> but it, it, even at any level of the game, we, we, it, the better we can perceive the moment in the moment, the better outcome we're likely to have. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, Here's one of the other quotes from the book I wanted to run by you. How often do we see what we think is there or should be there 
instead of what actually is there. You know, you start around, you have a couple of good holes, then you have your double, and then the day is over. Well, it, if you look at it later, you go, well, no, in that moment, it was just a bit of a stumble. You know, the, the whole t- the point of this book, and we've all talked about it together and apart, that overcoming obstacles is the nature of the game. But so many of the people, myself included, had played a lot of golf thinking that there shouldn't be any bad things that ever happened to you. So the so the title of the book, The Obstacle is the Way, is that it's like we know there's going to be obstacles. Right. And what life's about is overcoming them. Is that essentially the... A- absolutely. Well, that, that, that and how you overcome them is switching from your perceived stories and all the other nonsense that go into a round of golf to, you know, being as objective in the moment. To what you said, Doodles, you said, okay, if you're if you have a, a shot that you know somewhere in your body isn't really in your arsenal, but you're trying it anyway, well you're not being objective about your own skills. But if I have you lay up on a par five and give you an eight iron, which feels good for most people, you usually hit a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, to me, the, the whole the, the obstacle thing, uh, obstacles are a perception as well. Um, like if, if you're walking across a, a schoolyard and there's a set of those, you know, those jungle gyms that are there. Which are now all taped off, by the way. Those are all taped yeah. off. And yeah, right. um, so if me as a, you know, a non-athletic adult right now and a young child, we were both walking along and there's a monkey bars and, and there's so many snow drifts that we have to go over the monkey bars the kids look at it and go hey cool i get to drip i get to climb this and i look at it and go oh no i have to climb this (laughs) exactly and so it's it's really about you know it starts to me with obstacles are defined by us resisting what's there versus going okay that is there what do i do to try and achieve what i'm trying to achieve here so if i have to be on the other side of this monkey bar and i'm resisting it i still have to climb it and That's so right. it's, it's now it's an obstacle versus me going, <laughs> see if I can still climb one of these things. It's been a while. Yeah. And I might fall off and, you know, break my arm or something, but I don't have a choice. It's in front of me. So I can go through it with a sense of resistance and frustration that it's there, which is, again, that's a perception. That's a, that's a you know, a, a belief system that's just going to trigger automatically versus, okay, it's here. Whether I'm resisting it and frustrated or not, I'm still climbing it, so why don't I climb it joyfully? Right. Because the reason I want to get to the other side is I want to feel happy and, you know, enjoy my life. So why don't I enjoy my life on the jungle gym as opposed to while I'm getting over it? And that's not that's not like, you know, positive thinking or anything like that. No. Because it might break my arm. But if I'm going to do something like that, why would I put myself through all that torment when I have to climb anyway? Yeah, well, it's much the same as coming onto a tee and going, oh, my gosh, this is such a killer golf hole. This could just, you know, I could make a double here. And they're interpreting the situation as something like dangerous, which yeah. is not much different. They're like our brain go, can easily go into fight or flight. And then we get tension, uh, cortisol is released, all that, all that stuff. So we can kind of, uh, speaking of awareness, is use our awareness to go, oh, I'm caught in this thing again oh i have to you know climb over the monkey bars oh my gosh as opposed to let's just do it and go or it's like let's just look at this golf hole as okay this i just have to deal with this golf hole so it's not going to be a killer it's not it's not going to come and kill me 
So how can I interpret this situation in a different way? It could be, all right, let me add it. I love challenges like this. This is going to be fun. This is why I come to play, Mm -hmm. to see how I show up in a situation like that. So it's using, yes, it is cognitive, but it's using our, interpreting our situation in a different way that can help us just enjoy the moment, and often that just leads to, to, to better golf shots. Yeah, very good. Now, just before we let you go, Doolin, uh, you're, uh, basically you spend a lot of your time doing Skype calls and Zoom meetings. You have for years. Uh, are you keeping in touch with your tour players, and uh, what are they doing? Uh, the tour just announced this week that they're thinking of resuming, I think, the second week of June if all yeah. starts to open up. But what are your guys doing, guys and gals doing during this uh, a furlough? Pretty much everyone, once once everything was called off, they just kind of said, all right, chilling for a couple of weeks. Like, I'm just I'm just going to, you know, shut down, hit the Netflix. Uh, they are, <laughs> all of them are maintaining their fitness in some way, shape, or form. Uh, some of them have family, some of them don't. Um, anyone who's in Florida here, the golf courses are open, so they're back to practicing which it makes it fairly easy. Uh, for my end of things, it's a bit of a dream come true because there's a lot of things that I try to get people to do that is not necessarily golf-oriented. Um, you know, things like a meditation practice or certain physical um, awareness exercises to help people keep their body more loose and free of tension, um, which corresponds to keeping your emotions uh, a lot more free and flowing. So... Those are the types of things that are like, oh, man, I just don't have time to do it. I'm traveling too much or I don't like it, so I'll make the excuse I don't have time. And now I'm like, hey, you got time. <laughs> 100%. Right. Absolutely. And so it's so challenging some people who don't necessarily like these things. And it's funny, the people who need these things the most are usually the ones that hate it the most, too. Yeah. So, um, but it's, exactly. it's been actually a really neat op- – I'm, I'm busier than I was before this um, by far because I have – I still have the same. I've got a couple extra players that have joined in, but everybody wants to take advantage of this time in some way, um, and so I get I have more more connection time with them and uh, uh, more of a captive audience because they're like I can only hit so many balls yeah. uh, through the day, and I can't go to dinner. I can't go do all these other things that distract me. So it's been amazing on my end of things, and it's it's really nice that you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm pretty excited to see what kind of payoff there is for for the folks that have committed to these things. Well, listen, if you want to read more about Paul Doolin, you can. You go on to the, the computing machine, and you can see all the stuff he does. And uh, we thank you so much for uh, being with us, as always. You're a, you're a very nice fellow. <laughs> and, uh, He's a nicer I, fellow than me. You started no, off the show saying how nice I was. Paul yeah, stop, Doolin, stop. super sweet guy. Yeah, stop. Wait, there's no comparison. He's, you're, there's nowhere, he's nowhere near as nice as you, okay? Jeez. He should have an arm wrestle for he's, a nice he's guy not, No, no. <laughs> Anyways, just stop. Doolin, you're a very ni- You're not Tim O'Connor nice. You're decent and you're kind. And, uh, I'm a counterfeit Tim O'Connor. You're not even. You can't, you can't even see O'Connor nice from where you are. I've, I've been in your presence. You know, you're, you're okay. Uh, thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. We'll talk. Uh, you yeah, and I will talk soon, okay? Yeah, you got it, guys. All right. Thanks, Paul Doolin. Cheers. Bye. Bye. I had to stop you there, Tim, because he's not even close to as nice as you. Like, he's decent, but just go away. (laughs) Just turn off your Zoom. I'm going to talk about you for the real Paul Doolin. (laughs) 
Do you know, guys need me anymore? Do you no, want we're, we're still we're still doing our show. You have to go now. Yeah, you leave now. Oh, you leave. You're done. That's all right. I have to chastise both of you. See, you're not as nice as you. Um. Anyway, yeah, uh, he's uh, he's decent. He's not okay. Boy, he's good, eh? Yeah, he's all right. Um, uh, no, you ask him. A, you ask him a question, and uh, I can tell. You can tell a guy who's got his reps in at working at a very high level because when you ask him a question, it's kind of like bang, bang, bang in terms of here's some things that he works on with his players. Um, so he's got he's got his reps in at working at a high pressure environment because he's working with people who make their living playing golf, and so they when they engage with him, they're looking for high high level. Uh, input advice uh coach you know as a coach you don't provide a ton of advice it's more like you're pulling people out but you guide them mm-hmm. and uh it's just you know we have him on the show about every at least a couple times a year at least but it's just interesting to see that his game gets just sharper and sharper all the time it's it's really cool to see and speaking of sharpening your game the all-new sim max and sim max os irons available from TaylorMade golf distance you have to feel to believe visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about something called it's an echo damping system and speed bridge technology i know you just got your driver uh, I was lucky enough to get my order in for the new 790s before the uh, COVID lockdown. And uh, I've only had a chance to hit the 9-iron uh, and uh, a wedge just a few times. Is that and in the golf lab up in your bedroom? Up in my golf lab in the spare bedroom, which my uh, lady friend has said, are we going to, is that going to stay? Because I've got a mattress on the wall. It's just a nightmare. Anyway, I can tell you. I have some ideas for decorating this room. That's right. <laughs> we, could do, we could do the walls and a oh, nice yeah. wall. I'm afraid to show her what's behind the mattress on the wall because it's literally drywall littered with golf ball marks. Of but, course uh, it is. I, I will tell you, I don't know much about the technology behind the irons, but I'll, I'll tell you, if you're looking for, uh, for a better player, really a, a nice feel, uh, a little bit more weight in the head, uh, but for a higher handicap player, these new Sim Max are easy to hit, and they are going to make your golf ball go further. So that's what everyone's looking for. And when, you know, I, I know uh, in the last couple of minutes before we leave the radio, we should talk a little bit about what golf is doing in terms of opening in different parts of uh, North America. As Paul mentioned, Florida uh, still open, Arizona. Uh, I was talking to my buddy Marty Chuck from Tour Striker. Uh, Arizona okay. is still open uh, with social distancing guidelines. Uh, our good friend Mike Bondi uh, was uh, talking to me just before we started recording, and Mike is sort of keeping up on what's going on in Ontario. And I think we're going to look at a golf season. If I had to guess, my guess would be later in May, maybe the first week of June. What are you hearing? Uh, something something similar. And I mean, like the PGA Tour released its uh, new schedule, I think, yesterday. Yeah, I and mentioned. Most everything, everything's up and going in June. Yeah, the second week of June. Yeah. And they've even got down to, uh, in September, it's uh, the U.S. Open followed the, immediately the week after the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And then the Masters is in uh, November. November. Yeah. And, yeah, PGA is the first major in August. So, yeah, they're starting to look at getting things going. So so that's encouraging. But I would just, you know, I'm on the side of, um, 
let's wait until these very smart people, these infectious diseases experts, tell us it's okay. Um, I, you know, the idea of people going out and really, it's kind of like Lauren Rubenstein said last week. It's like, you know what? If we can come close to a, almost a hundred percent guarantee, no one's going to get infected. Let's open up the golf courses. You know, um, otherwise, we got to do everything we can to flatten the curve. Yeah, uh, but there, and I agree. There is a school of thought that. And it's not just about golf, that at some point, you know, you're, we're going to have to get our heads around the fact that we're going to need to reenter society because uh, mm-hmm. a vaccine, an antiviral and an antidote, you know, that's a, that's a ways away. Long ways away. And, and golf is just another industry that's been hit. You know, uh, the one that keeps coming uh, to mind on the uh on the radio show that I do normally is the restaurant business because that is such a hard business in terms of its month to month. You know, it's a tenuous existence and those people have been hit hard. Even if golf comes back, you know, they're talking about not having food and beverage, not having, you know, think about all the uh, club link, the, the, you know, the company that we're associated with. Yeah, they get a lot of golfers, but they also get a lot of banquets, a lot of weddings, a lot Meetings. of a lot of corporate gatherings that are all been shelved, canceled, postponed. Because you can't keep you can't keep the clubhouse clean enough yeah. to prevent the. You just think of just in the washroom alone going in. Oh, my God. It's just all that stuff. It's just too precarious right now. Listen, we're going to continue. Uh, we call it the uh, Swing Thoughts Podcast Extra. You can hear more if you just go to our Facebook page. There'll be a little extra. We're going to say goodbye now until next week. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Paul Doolin, a mental performance coach. The Humble and Fred Show. Tim O'Connor at O'ConnorGolf.ca. And we'll be back next week at 11 on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. All right, this is our uh, podcast extra. Um, I got to tell you, I uh, do you know who George Gankus is? Yeah, he coaches um, Matthew oh Wolf. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've been following George Gankus on uh, Instagram for a couple of years. He's a bit of a character. He just was named Golf Digest number eight, you know, teacher in America. And uh, he's, a, he's a bit of a character. His, his lessons are interesting, and he's got a a whole school of thought and, and whatever. So earlier in the week, <laughs> I, uh, I was all like, I was kind of bummed out Monday. I don't know why Monday. I just, the weekend was over. The Masters was over. And I was like, okay, now what? Masters and, is over again. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Masters was over again. And I just started to get a little restless for golf. And uh, you know, I get it. And so I uh, went online. And, and you know, Gankus has, you know, like, like a lot of our friends that are teachers, he's got a, like Todd Graves has an online portal and, and Marty Chuck, of course, from Tour Striker. And so I thought I wanted to investigate what, you know, what it costs to take the Gankus online course. And, and the thing is, you can't sign up for a month. You have to sign up for a year. That's right. Uh, long story short, I was this close. <laughs> I was this close. 
your fingers hovering over that enter button. And I said, and I said to Rachel, my friend, my love, I said, uh, I'm just going to send because she was all like, you should do it. You know, you're bored, or it'll give you something to do. You know, she doesn't know how many times. (laughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Pardon me. How many times I've been down this rabbit hole? So I thought, just before I I pulled the trigger on this twelve month (laughs) commitment, I sent uh, Marty. I sent Marty Chuck a note, and I said, uh, "Oh God!" I just said to him, uh, "I'm thinking of doing this." <laughs> and I, I, I said, uh, "Here's what I said." I said, uh, "I said, hey Chucky, uh, great chatting with the other day. To be honest, I'm bored, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm looking, to, I'm looking to absorb some new information. I was thinking about doing the Gankus online course, and I gave him the number of how much it was going to cost." Any thoughts? If you think it's a waste of time, let me know. And his response was, I'm a fan, but all you'll be doing is adding confusion. If you're bored as F, I get it. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'll leave it alone. But uh, that's where well, I'm at. That 100%, you know what? That's ex- I was thinking somewhat the same, that if you did this, it would just be adding more stuff in the cranium. And to me, for like you, like most golfers, we want less stuff in the cranium. And it's like we're talking with Paul. It's more of just hitting shots. I know. Relying on the on our bod to get going. So I had a um, – it's funny. I had – I guess Marty's probably bored too because <laughs> he can't. But hey, I had, Mar- Marty uh, Chuck? Yeah. No, well, you know, a- the thing about Marty, though, is, yeah, his schools are shut down. But That's he right. – um, where he works out of is a, a golf course in uh, Arizona, Phoenix, called the Raven. It's still open. I think he's doing a little bit of uh, in-person teaching. But remember, his his main business is selling those products. Um, yeah. Marty was just named like Gankus is eight. Marty's thirty-five oh, on, cool. on on the top teachers in the states. But his business, that tour striker. Business oh, yeah. is doing really well. I mean, that, oh, he's, the, the, he's killed it. He, the yeah. plane mate that I have, and I would recommend to anyone. It's a couple hundred bucks, but it's worth it. It's uh, it sells out. Like he can't keep them in stock. It was named in Orlando this year at the PGA Show. It was uh, whatever that category is, Gadget of the Year or mm. Swing. Sorry, Swing Trainer of the Year. What's with the ball thing? Is that the one you? That's meant? also the tour. The tour ball is his. The smart ball. Oh, God, yeah. So anyways, my exchange with Marty uh, this week was I wrote, um, put a blog up on Monday. I'm thinking that, you know, the beginning of the year, you know, we're all kind of waiting. So, so you, let's use this time. And so I often challenge people to do an exercise I call just why I play golf. And they can just write it out. You know, why do you play golf? Seems kind of weird. So on Tuesday, I did that exercise and I posted it. And I said that then my dad was all over that thing. And when I, so I, I wrote in the blog that um, a lot of times when I would play with my dad, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit. When I would play with my dad as a, as a young man, a golf writer, I would be like, I wanted to play well. I wanted to impress him. I wanted his buddies to know I was a good player. And, of course, I would just choke my guts out. <laughs> you know, And I'm trying to do everything right, deliberate golf, you know, pre-shot routine, all this stuff. And, you know, I'd nail it into oblivion, and then Dad would just go, uh, "Why don't you just try your don't give a shit swing?" <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, most of I would just nail it straight down the pike. And so Marty, uh, he writes back, 
And he goes, I enjoyed that read. It made me think of all the enjoyable moments and my absorbed ego moments I've had in the game. He says, the don't give a shit swing is important. Freedom to fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Start the adventure. And there's so much truth to that. And, and so it's really interesting that you and I, one of the cool things that we, through doing this show, you know, you interview folks, me, we get access to some pretty interesting folks like Marty, the Marty Chucks of the world, uh, Ed Collins, and, you know, our friend Paul Dooland. And so there's a lot of high-level thinking that goes on, all that. But at a certain point, you just play the game. You just you, you just react to target. Let it let it go. And and, and having fun and and freedom. And, and that piece that he said about freedom to fuck up. You know, you do your best in your preparation. Yeah, if you have to double check the your uh, the wind or whatever. But then you commit, and then you then that's. You put all that data into the computer. This is what I'm going to hit. And then it's a matter of just swinging with some freedom because you've done the best you can. Yeah. And let it rip. Um, I, I told you that Marty has a great uh, phrase that I've never heard anyone else use. Maybe he got it from somebody. Like all good uh, teachers, you sort of take and, and mm-hmm. synthesize. Um, but he doesn't call it a practice swing and he doesn't call it a rehearsal swing. He calls it a priming. priming. I'm sorry, yeah. you were pointing at me while I was talking. What did you want to say? No, no, it's just it was oh, like you're, when you're, oh, you're being a good, you were being a good boy, and you wanted to guess what I what what it was. No, you told me. Yeah, but I, I love that thing. <laughs> I, I love that too. I, I like the idea of because they sort of priming the pump for you younger kids. You know, you probably haven't heard that phrase before when you have a a, a well, you have to prime yeah. the pump. But I like the idea of priming your swing to to put you in a, a, a place. He's really good about that. I mean, you know, Mart, I, you know, it's funny because he said to me as the exchange went on about whether I was going to take the George Gankus course and add confusion to my already, you know. But part of it is I'm just, I, I be honest with you, I'm just sort of bored and wanting to play golf but can't, thinking, well, maybe this would be a good time to overhaul my swing. Which, but I don't want to not recommend. Yeah, I know. But, you know, part <laughs> of it is, is just like, coach. you know, I'm reading like five books. You know, Rachel and I have stopped watching a lot of te- this. This week, we really last night was the first night in three nights that we watched any television at all. We just like after dinner, we're reading or going for walks. And, you know, part of it is like I'm I get to hit golf balls every day because I go to this little place near my house where I can walk the dog. There's no one around. I can hit wedges. But. I haven't had a target to hit at, so really all I'm doing is screwing around, kind of, what do you call it when you sort of eat yourself? <laughs> you, you know, you kind of like... Uh, cannibalizing? Yeah, you uh, just start to kind of like question every golf thing you ever heard and, oh, you know. Yeah. Well, here's, here's something I want to check out for you. Yes, I'm pointing at you again. Um, yes, folks, we're on Zoom. Ah, um is part of what's going on for you is kind of falling into a default behavior that you believe to some degree that your salvation will be more knowledge and knowing the swing a little bit more um, and that it's feeding some kind of uh, story that you need more. You can't rely on 
on what you already have, that you need more. I mean, yes, I'm sorry, close to therapy here, but I don't no, know. No, How's that land for you? You don't. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to apologize. I understand. <laughs> I, I I know who you are. Uh, I think, like a lot of us, you know, part of it is an a bit of golf on we. How do you like that? Mm-hmm. Um, Fancy word for boredom. Uh, no, I. Actually, it's a great word. It's French it for a uh, it's a it's a French for sort of a a feeling of malaise. Another French word, a feeling of kind of like I think we're all feeling it. You know, you know, every Some day sadness mixed in there a, a little bit of a, just sort of a a, a bit of um. Well, I think a lot of golfers, a lot of human beings are feeling it because of being in this situation. I mean, we just have to admit it. Some days suck, some yep. days are better, and however you get through the day is is great. But as a golfer, I think you're you're not you're right to a point. <clears throat> if honestly, if this was the regular golf season, I never would have even bothered with the Gankus course. But because it's kind of like, I got nothing else to do, maybe I'll just overhaul my swing. Yeah, maybe because I suspect that if I could just make it a little bit better, all would be well. But I think think that's less for me about there's something missing in my golf swing than more like I'm a nerd and I like to see what's out there. And maybe, you know, maybe something will come up. And mostly it's like, I don't need any more lessons, to be honest with you. No, you, dude, you do not. Absolutely, you don't. And and but it's a pattern I've seen. You know, I've known you for yeah. for four years now, and every once in a while we're going along and it's, hey, yeah, um, I met <laughs> this guy, and uh, wow, really intrigued. So I started to take lessons with him, and then two weeks later, it's like, well, now I'm done with that. I know. Yeah, I'm done with him. I know. I know. And, Listen, you know, you're so right. I'll just rely. I just rely on my own swing, and then then a couple of weeks later, oh, you know, I. Met this new guy, you know, or like we interviewed him on the podcast. I think I'm going to follow up with him for some private stuff. Do you think that's okay? Yeah. And so you follow, so like you go down into these, these rabbit holes of of back to technique as salvation to some degree. And I think you're finding your you you go down there now, and you go, oh, I didn't want to go down here again. No, I know. And you come back. So you're that close <laughs> to hit the send button, you know. For I know. Only, Nineteen ninety five well, a month for George J. Oh, I'll tell you what—if it was nineteen ninety five, I would have done it, dude. It's fifty bucks U.S. a month for a year. You can you can't cancel it. You got to do the whole thing. Wow, that's I like, know that's like seventy five, eighty bucks. Yeah, and yeah. Um, no, I mean you're you're uh, well. I know you're exaggerating for comedic sake, but yeah, you definitely part of what attracts me to the game of golf is that I'm a uh, swing nerd. But what's <clears throat> what's the reason I didn't do it is the fact that I know that it's just it's just me kind of going. Ugh, I want to yeah, do. I do too. I want to sure. do. Oh, I know. We all do it. We all do it. Stuff comes up, and you kind of go like, you know, I get, I, I get the uh, the analog version of Golf Digest. I just like having um, the the paper version to relax with. Yeah. And there's times in which I'll I generally don't look at the instruction stuff, but every once in a while I will catch something and go, oh, that's interesting. You know, and kind of in the in the bedroom, <laughs> a little bit, and then I inevitably I go back to, oh man, that's more, you know, tab A into slot B mechanics oriented stuff, which just never seems to, <clears throat> never serves me. It, True, it, it just seems like how many times do I go back to that and go, I can try this? It's like that's what led to my my little uh, meltdown last August, in which you and George. Uh, did the intervention with me on because I went down the rabbit hole of of 
of seeking salvation in mechanics. So why the uh, visit to, uh, and I think it's great. I love Mike Martz. He's a great teacher, but but again, you know, like you, you probably know as much about a golf swing as, you know, most people that I know, and yet, you know, you're enjoying the... Perfect the, question. The discovery of, you know, having a guy like Mike Martz, who I've, I've hit balls with. I mean, the guy's a super pro, you know? He, he absolutely is. So before the uh, zombie apocalypse lockdown, I saw him five times. And in those, say, I guess it was five hours, he gave me one physical thing. And it wasn't even a to-do. It was a feel. We're talking about hitting it low. And he says, well, you might want to feel as a right-hander, that your left hip is high, and it's almost like you're sweeping the ball. So that was a feel as opposed to, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to uh, yeah, yeah, we got know, it. do this, do that. So, so what, 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 what did you do the rest of the time in five hours? Well, what he did for me was, uh, was it's exactly what we're talking about with uh, Paul Dooland. It's having someone who's, who's kind of the, the detached observer who's seeing what's going on. And so... What I did with uh, Mike was, like, last year, I, we talked about this earlier, I struggled with the dead left shot. You know, it's just like the thing goes into oblivion and, like, you know, your auto double, you know, if you make par in your second ball. So I just said, what the hell's going on here? So I saw Mike, and, and we started. To, I started to hit some shots. This is in January. I hadn't swung since October. He says, what's your shot? I said, a draw. Okay. So I started to hit some draws. And some pretty good, some okay, and some dead lefts. He goes, Okay. Now, try a fade here. And we got the track. I'm doing this all on track, man. We're observing all of it. And I hit some fades, and he goes, um, you know, it strikes me that your body moves much easier to hit a fade than a draw. When I watch you hit a draw, it looks like you're working hard. And that's the type of sort of discovery process we worked on. Mm-hmm. And he says, so go back to hitting draws. And... And it was kind of like, God, you're right. When I hit a when I hit a fade, there's just some more freedom here. Uh, it just seems to move easier. And it did, so we just and then we just started to work. He goes like, okay, let's hit hit a bigger one. Hit the biggest slice you can. Now let's hit a draw. Now it hits a big hook. Hit it high. I hit it low. And through that discovery process, I started to just really be able to develop this very reliable fade. Mm-hmm. And it was through my own awareness with his guidance. He says, well, you know, what about your, you know, it says, what happens if you open up the club face a little bit here? What if you do this, do that? So it was really him guiding me through uh, uh, my own discovery and my own awareness, growing my own awareness, which is, um, which is great. I've never had a relationship like that with a coach who essentially posed really good questions that I could answer as opposed to him giving me answers that I then had to interpret and try and perform correctly. No, for and sure. That, and, and, and that has always been the model that I've been introduced to and I've tried that I took through, you know, taking fucking tons of lessons and this was a different way, and, and I loved it. And I think it's so, I don't know, that's very long, a lot of talking. I'll shut up now, but. No, I was just listening. Because you're basically, you're just, what's funny is you're like, you know, every couple of weeks you try a new teacher, and now you're like, but Mike Martz is Nirvana. Hey, listen, man, we're all, we're, hey, all, we're all on the same 
golfers are all the same. We just think we're uh, one good session or one good coach or one good thing away. You know, but you ask me, you know, for me, it's like I, I just I'm just restless. And when I get this way around golf, I want to, you know, I've been intrigued. I've been following George Gankus now for a couple of years, as I mentioned, and I've just been intrigued by what what is he teaching that I might be able to, you know, glom onto. But the fact is, I I don't have the wherewithal to try and learn a new system, you know, at this yeah. point in my golf life or my golf season. Well, I, th- isn't, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, you look at how golf has changed over time. I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, because of the equipment, I can't explain exactly how, you tried to stay back over the ball and you then had that reverse C yeah. thing. Now, everyone is, there's more rotation through, so you don't have that strain on the back. A lot of it has to do with equipment. What Gankis, I think, is also showing is that you can also take the club back, I think, on a different path. Like, doesn't there's a lot going on. He's a big guy on rotation, but uh, you know what I like? The one thing he does do is he has his players, Matthew Wolf and a few uh, CT Pan, but his whole thing is the when you see him, I don't want to get into it, but other, you sort of see it's a lot more inside and, and almost across the line. It doesn't really matter. The point is all of us think that there's a, a magic potion. <laughs> yep. When really it's what you described about what Mike is having you do. It's like, you know, you can, you're a pretty good player. You can execute all those shots. So, you know, really what, what is it you need to, what do we need to learn? And I think the takeaway for me is that, you know, I, I you know, my, what I have going on is probably good enough for me to continue oh my God, you're a scratch to, player. to I mean, play you're, at a decent you're a, level. You're a really good player. <laughs> so, so let me just ask you. I'm bored. What is it that Ed Collins talked to you about um, in terms of your challenge? You know, he said that, yeah. He said, you, try you, and make you, it less exciting is what he told me. Yeah, stop making nines and then stop making it nines. Two. Yeah. Like, so, what's, so what's kind of the challenge he's laid out for you? How you make that leap? Because that, to me, is that's going to be the piece that's going to move you to, you know, possibly becoming a plus handicap if that's something you want or to be able to play at a level that makes you a little bit more competitive in, in yeah, national championships. Well, just that. I, I mean, I, I, we have to wrap up because i got to go. But I'll just tell you, the, the, the big takeaway from my time with Ed recently is just, you know, just just stop making it so... Uh, like, I, I guess there's something about the way I play that I think part of it is I enjoy the fact that, you know, I, things get a little bit exciting. He said, you know, just try and make it a little more boring. Um, anyway, like chaos and disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, okay. We're saying goodbye again. Uh, hang around just for a second because I want to run a guest idea by you. Okay. Uh, thanks to everyone who uh, was on the show. I can't remember what we were talking about, but it seemed pretty good. I don't know. I enjoyed it. <laughs> you were paying attention again. Weren't you? I was paying attention to a lot of it. There was a few times I got a bit sleepy. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Will you stop in your hole?